This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome back for a second series of Gosh Pods Goes Green. In this series, we are focusing on the important issue of air pollution. Over the next eight weeks, we will explore the impact of air quality on our health, factors contributing to air pollution, and start to think about what we can do as individuals and as healthcare professionals to improve our air quality and advocate for change. Today on the podcast, we're going to be focusing on air inequality, or more specifically, the health inequalities surrounding the topic of air pollution, thinking about why these inequalities occur and what we can do about them. We hope you enjoy listening. Hi, I'm Emma, the Education Fellow at Great Ormond Street Hospital, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Anjali Rahman Middleton, who is one of the co-founders of Choked Up, which we'll hear a bit more about shortly. But firstly, thank you so much for joining me this morning, Anjali. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Could you start just by telling me a little bit more about Choked Up, the organization that you co-founded? Yeah, so Choked Up is a campaign that was set up in 2020 by black and brown sixth formers living in London. So I'm one of those sixth formers, well, was sixth former at the time, now I'm a bit older, but we basically saw the injustice around clean air and air pollution in our own communities. So we saw that we were living in heavily polluted areas of London. We were living along some of the busiest roads in the UK and no one was really doing anything to protect our lungs and protect our health. So we were suffering from asthma, respiratory issues, any sorts of long-term illnesses that come a result of air pollution, but no one was really talking about this. And the thing that we found most alarming about this whole situation was we were very aware that it was our communities that were at the forefront of this crisis. We were aware that it was people of colour and low-income communities that were breathing the worst air in the UK and also across the world. But no one was really talking about this health inequality and the disparity between what different demographics in London were breathing. And so we felt like we had to take a stand. We felt like we had to protect our lungs and the health of our communities. So we started Choked Up to basically campaign to see wide-scale changes across the UK in how we are both addressing issues of air pollution and also talking about it. Yeah, fantastic. I think it's so important because I think that people obviously realise that climate change is an environmental issue, but they don't necessarily see it as a health issue and they don't necessarily see it as an equality issue. So I think it is really important to highlight that. Was there any one thing in particular that actually prompted you to set up Choked Up? Or was it just kind of a gradual realisation over time of the fact that it was affecting groups of society differently? So I think for me, it was sort of a combination of two of those things. So the thing that really made me open my eyes to the dangers of air pollution was the death of Ella Kisidebra and her mother Rosamond's campaigning on it. So Rosamond is 
a family friend of mine. So my family was quite involved in her work and seeing what she was doing and hearing her talk about it and air pollution in the area. And so the more that I heard her speak about the work that she was doing and the more that I knew about what she was doing and the older I got, the more involved I became in it. And so it really made me look at the world around me and forced me to open my eyes and see that I was breathing such dirty air and that it was not an accident, that it was my community that was experiencing such poor air quality. Yeah, I think the really sad case of Ella Kithadebra kind of was a pivotal moment for many, actually, in realising how it was actually affecting health. And we've got several episodes in this series that are going to focus on some of the health issues associated with air pollution and why it's so bad for us. So really talking to you today, I wanted to focus a lot more on the inequality issue, which is something clearly that's really close to your heart. So firstly, at a really basic level, can you just explain why is air pollution an equality issue and why are some groups more affected than others? Yes. So the groups that tend to be disproportionately affected by air pollution and live in the most polluted areas, not just in the UK, but globally as well, are ethnic minorities and low-income communities. So in London, people of colour are exposed to 27% more air pollution than their white counterparts, and this is people of the same income bracket. So we can tell from that specific stat that this is not just an issue of income, but also an issue of race. So I think that it's really important that we focus on that specific dynamic as well, because very often in the work that I've been doing, people say, oh no, it's a class issue, not a race issue. And by focusing on race, you're ignoring class. But the truth is that it isn't as simple as it's all about income and it's all about living in poor areas. It's also, there is a racial element of this that we can't ignore, we have to talk about. And so I think that one of the main things that people ask is, why does this inequality exist? And so I'm just going to give a very brief history of how this ended up happening. So yeah, please do. So basically, busy roads are undesirable places to live because even if you put aside all of the health issues associated with it, they're loud, they can be quite dangerous because there's cars everywhere. It's not the safest area to live. It's perhaps not the most pleasant area to live, just in terms of aesthetics. So the real estate in these areas was a lot cheaper than real estate in other areas. So obviously it ended up attracting people from lower income backgrounds who could not afford to buy houses in nice areas. So what ends up happening as a result of this is that then these issues become exacerbated because these communities have less power, they're less affluent. And so they are unable to actually do something about the dangers of the roads that are living next to. And the area then becomes less desirable. And then people who have that power end up moving into areas that don't have those busy roads. So it ends up becoming the cycle of people who have less political and social power and tend to be poorer and also tend to be from racial and ethnic minority backgrounds because of the relationship between institutional racism and class in this country. It means that you have this like health inequality and you have this racial disparity and income disparity that develops along these roads. So basically what this means is that people from more vulnerable backgrounds end up living in these areas 
and a very little way to fix it. Yeah, that kind of vicious cycle you're describing does make complete sense. And I think really does explain some of the inequality that we do see in terms of discrepancies in income affecting your exposure. But I found it really interesting, the statistic you mentioned earlier, that even if matched for income, ethnic minority groups are still more affected when it comes to exposure to air pollution. So how can you explain like that particular difference? Because I find it really interesting. I think that is a really interesting point. So what I would say about that is that a lot of the racial diversity that we see in the country now, not all of it, but a large proportion of it, came from immigration in the 40s through to the 60s, so during the Windrush age. And a lot of these immigrants were then unable to get high-paying jobs in the UK because of racism and institutional racism in the workplace and hiring, as well as racism in housing. So they were unable to actually earn a decent wage, and they were also unable to move into the more affluent areas because no one would sell those houses to them. So what ended up happening is communities of ethnic minorities and racialized communities ended up developing in these areas that were considered undesirable to live in, where people would let them have this housing and where they could actually afford to live. So this is where it starts to intersect with the class element. So in the country, because of this institutional and historic racism, we find that class intersects very heavily with race and the two of them cannot really be separated. So this is why you have a lot of ethnic minority communities that live in these areas along the busy roads, because historically they have been the only areas that they have been allowed to live in because of basically racism and housing. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a really important issue. So thank you for, for highlighting it. When we speak about inequality in air pollution, there's clearly an inequality in who's being affected. But I think there's also a really important inequality to highlight in terms of who's actually producing a lot of air pollution, because actually certain groups are kind of less likely to contribute than other groups. So could you talk a bit about that as well? Yeah, so I think this is a really interesting point that whilst like low-income groups suffer the worst experiences of air pollution and other people who are most affected by it, they also are the least likely to contribute to it because most people who are low income do not own a car. And cars are the main reason for air pollution within cities. And they are one of the main causes of inequalities because of basically busy roads and traffic. And so I think it's, I think it's quite interesting thing to focus on that basically people who are breathing the worst air pollution, this is not even air pollution that is caused by themselves and their daily lives. And these groups tend to use more public transport and walk more and generally be more sustainable. So I think it comes into this thing of we need to also hold ourselves accountable. And the issue that I think has been coming up a lot recently has been wood burning and basically all of this sort of like fire, like the whole sort of environment that you have in a lot of middle class homes. So wood burning is so bad for the environment and air quality because it releases a huge amount of particulate matter. And if you look at who actually owns these word burners, you see that it's not the people who are most affected by air pollution. So I think it comes into this idea of we need to basically see how our own lives are impacting on other people and that the way we live is sustainable and not 
basically harming the health of the other people who live around us. Yeah, completely. So just having a kind of consideration for our community rather than just mm. thinking about ourselves. Do you think that there's a lack of awareness that air pollution is an equality issue? Yeah, I I definitely think so. I I mean, even if you look at some of the comments that we get on Twitter, it's stuff like people saying, oh, but everyone breathes the same air. Air pollution affects everyone. And to an extent, this is true. I'm not going to say that if you're white and middle class living in London, you don't breathe dirty air. There are lots of places which are quite affluent that have really, really bad air, like Westminster and the Tube has really poor air quality. So pretty much everyone living in a big city is going to experience bad air and breathe bad air. But I think it is important that we focus on the inequality issue of it as well, in that there are some people who are breathing much worse air than other people, and they tend to be from these specific demographics. But I really just think people don't want to talk about that because people don't like to see their privilege and people often like to think of climate and environmental issues as an issue that we are all experiencing together as a community and I think as soon as you bring in anything about inequalities or anything about race or anything about class people like to say that you're dividing up a movement that should be united and we've definitely had that accusation held at us quite a lot. I think I I will say that recently There has been a lot more talk around inequalities and health and climate. And it's really great to see that. But definitely when we were starting out, that was not something anyone was really talking about. So it's it's great to have seen this change, even in the time that we've been campaigning, which is, as far as things go, quite a short length of time. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, it just needs a mindset change. I think people shouldn't be thinking about, you know, raising issues of equality as kind of dividing this big fight on climate change but ultimately it's highlighting certain aspects which make it even more important to be united against it and just because you're not from maybe one of the more affected groups if you're you know as I said a middle-class white person like me it doesn't mean that you can't still see these issues of inequality and use it as even more of an argument against making sustainable changes yeah very true completely agree So I guess on that note, what do we do about it? And what steps would you like to see being taken by local councils and I guess ultimately by the government to tackle the issue? Yeah, so I think change on this is going to have to come about as work between both national, regional and local government. I think it's going to be really impossible to tackle it without all three branches of the government being involved, three levels of it. And so I think basically what we're campaigning for at Choked Up is our ultimate end goal is a new Clean Air Act that enshrines the World Health Organization targets in it, make sure that everyone in the UK has the right to breathe clean air by 2030 and the right to breathe air that is compliant with the new World Health Organization targets. And this is not something that the current government is in any way pushing for and they've actively backtracked on a lot of these promises but I think that it's really important that we start there and I think that is a good goal to have. I do think though that in order to actually fix this there needs to be a lot of investment into local council because every council is going to have different issues related to air pollution because it might be that in more rural areas they don't have an issue of 
traffic related air pollution, but they have something related to farming or where I live, it would be a lot about traffic, but somewhere else in London, it might be more about wood burning. And so I think that you have to let local councils basically see the specific cause of the problem in their area and tackle that almost by themselves and work out ways of navigating that issue instead of imposing the sort of top-down approaches. Everyone needs to tackle air pollution like this. These are the strategies everyone needs to implement because different things will work better in different areas. And I think everything that is done around this issue, because it's quite sensitive and people care a lot about their freedom to like, drive and things, I think it's really important that you do it in a way that consults the community and has this community-led approach. And I think local councils are really the only way to do that. But that obviously requires a lot of investment from central government. Yeah, investment and yeah, I guess a, a trust and the ability to give the local councils these freedoms, which are clearly so important for them to be able to tailor the correct response for their area. I guess on a similar note, do you think that there's a risk that taking action against air pollution and climate change could worsen some of the existing inequality? And how do we prevent this from happening? Yeah, so I would I would just like to say that there is a bit of a risk, but at the same time, the people who will benefit most from climate action are the people who are currently living in poverty, the people who are most vulnerable within our society. So it, it's kind of a fine line to walk where these groups are going to benefit most from these solutions, but they're also potentially most at risk whilst they're being implemented. So I think something that's really important to do is make sure that all the solutions we're implementing are community-led and consult the community and that actual like actions are taken to make sure that we're consulting pretty much all the different demographics within that one community and not just hearing from the same people over and over again. Because I think it's so easy to say something is community-led when honestly you've only heard from like one demographic and it's the demographic that's able to give you the most of their time. So it's often not the people who are most vulnerable within that one community. So I think that's a really important starting point. And I also think it's important to just set up schemes that are able to support people through any sort of lifestyle changes that they need to make. So for instance, I think the ULAS is a really good example of this because the ULAS is going to be very beneficial to people who are living along busy roads, along the South Circular, who, as I've already said, tend to be from vulnerable communities and low-income and racialized groups. So they stand to benefit a lot from it. However, anyone who's reliant on a car for their career, and these people might be small business owners, they might be low-income, they are going to be adversely affected by this policy change. And they may not be able to afford to buy a new car that is UNAS compliant. So what you need to accompany any sort of ULAS scheme with is a scrappage scheme. And a scrappage scheme would then allow people who are low income and are unable to potentially buy a new car that is compliant to actually make that change. And then they are facilitated and they are supported in that lifestyle change. Because I think what's really important to focus on is people want to be climate friendly. People want to be environmental and sustainable. But for some people, it's really, really hard for them to do that because they don't simply don't have the money. They simply don't have the finances to back up these changes that can be really expensive. And so if we support people in making these changes, 
And if we make it easier for them to actually do it and make it something that is realistic for them to achieve, then they will do it because it's easy for them and it doesn't really impact their life that much. And it will ultimately make them feel like a better person in making these changes. But we just have to put them in a position where they are able to make that choice and it's easy for them to make that change to their lifestyle. Yeah, completely. So it's almost in a way not about what action is taken, but how it's taken in a way that can be as inclusive as possible. Yes. Whilst a lot of this action is clearly needed at a very high level, kind of, you know, local councils and ultimately the national and regional government, are there any steps that you think individuals can take? Yes, I think there's quite a lot that individuals can do. After all, we all live in communities and we are responsible for the health of our communities and there's stuff that we can do to limit the impact that we have on other members of our community. And so I think probably the most obvious one is don't drive as much. If you can, start using public transport, try and make these changes in your life to make yourself and your lifestyle more sustainable. Start cycling, start walking more. Public transport is so easily accessible in London and so I think it's anywhere that you see that you can make that change anywhere that you think that you can like oh maybe instead of driving here maybe I should get the bus anywhere you have that option I think it's good to take that option of not driving and the other one I would like to say is don't use word banners you don't have to use them they have basically no impact on your life it's an aesthetic thing and it is so so harmful to like everyone's health, in, including your own, because you are burning this, like, and you are sitting around smoke. So it just feels like a bit of a no-brainer to just like not use wood burning. It's so interesting, isn't it? I always was, and I had no idea until I started making these podcasts about the pollution from wood burners. And it was yeah. always something I kind of aspired to, you know, that kind of Instagram living room with a wood burner in it. I, can't, I think there's just a complete lack of awareness about just how mm. bad they are. Yeah, I think there really is. And I think that if people knew more about just how bad they are for your health they would just not use them because I mean whilst it impacts the community as well because obviously air travels it has like you are the person that's going to be impacting the most because it's in your home and you are sitting around it so I I just think if people knew how harmful they were they would just not have them yeah definitely apart from choked up Are there any other advocacy groups out there who are focusing on the inequality issue for our listeners to find out more about or get involved with? Yeah, so there aren't that many that specifically focus on the inequality around clean air, but I know quite a lot of people who are doing work on it and are doing work on climate inequality more generally. So one individual to look at would be Michaela Loach. She's very cool, just got a book out, definitely worth a read. Domi Palmer is also does some very cool work on climate justice and a clean air. Rosamond Kissy Deborah is obviously an inspiration in the clean air movement and she's done amazing and tireless work on lobbying the government and making sure that people really know about the dangers of air pollution. She's definitely someone to follow if you have not followed her journey at all. And then I think the last one is a group that I've recently started doing some more work with which is Black Maternal Health. They talk a lot about the health impacts of clean air on black mothers, basically, and how it can really adversely affect 
any fetuses, any young children. And I think that they do very cool work on inequalities. Great. Fantastic. Thank you. And you might have kind of already covered this, but what's the one thing you would like people to remember from today's podcast? The main thing I think is that environmental solutions always have the most benefit to those who are the most vulnerable within society. And whilst it may seem like they are trying to target the people who are most vulnerable and they are like impacting on their ways of life the most, they often are not. And people want to push this narrative that like low income communities are being targeted by environmentalism when actually they're not. And environmentalism works in the interest of everyone, as long as it is done in an equitable way. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming and speaking to me today, Anjali. It's been really fascinating to hear more from you and hear about the really incredible work you're doing with Choked Up. It's really quite inspiring. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gosh Pods Goes Green. For the final two episodes of the series, we're going to be turning our attention back to Great Ormond Street Hospital, speaking to some staff members and talking about the projects that they've been working on to address the issue of air quality within our environment at Gosh and on behalf of our patient. So make sure you listen out for that episode coming next week. The team at the Gosh Learning Academy would love to get your feedback on the episode, as well as hear your suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on Gosh Pods. You can find a link to the feedback survey in the description for the episode. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Or you can visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. Thanks for listening to Gosh Pods and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.